Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by the Colorado XOs. I'm Henry Chisholm, and it's Tuesday, which means we have an awesome guest, Matt McChesney from McChesney Unchained, from uh, 6-0 Strength and Fitness, from uh, the, the NFL and also the Colorado Buffaloes. How's it going, Matt? It's going good, brother. Being a one to know helps, that's for damn sure. The NFL starting this week helps, that's for damn sure. So <clears throat> last week was pretty rough being sick, not being able to go to the game, but you know, beauty of technology. I got to watch the Pac-12 Network and uh, watch the Buffs go one and zero. So it was good. How is it? How is it still so hard to to get the Pac-12 Network? It's ridiculous. I find it. I find the entire situation almost laughable at this point. It's terrible. I mean, I mean the fact have... that the fact that I can get Maryland and West Virginia, but I can't get the Buffs. I have to like stream a service on my. I have to pay for a stupid ass like cable service on my phone just to watch CU. It's the only reason I have it. It's terrible. Well, George Klyovkov said the same thing at Pac-12 Media Day, like the new Pac-12 commissioner. He basically said, like, yeah, this is terrible, and there's just nothing we can do about it until the contract expires. Like, we just and have to look at this for three years. I think after 2023. Okay, so not that long. Not that long, but it's... But they, have, be- they have to do something about it. It is ridiculous the fact that you can't view the home state team. I mean, half, half, I'd say that at least half of the state doesn't get Pac-12 network. Is that fair? I, I think that it's even more than that. I think it's even you more than Pac-12 campaign. network. Only because I, I get sling because my job requires me to have the Pac-12 network. Otherwise, I absolutely wouldn't. We actually, down at the DMVR bar, this will be a good plug. We just changed the, the like cable service there so that we could get Pac-12 network. Uh, we got it just in time for that first game. And so we'll have all the Buffs games. If anybody needs somewhere to go watch those because they don't have Pac-12 Network, come down to the DMVR bar. Uh, You know what else is ridiculous, Matt? Tell me. Four players getting kicked out of that football game last night for targeting. Well, what do you think? Because it seems like this first week of college football has just been dominated by targeting calls. Um, Let's just start here. Do, Do you like the rule as it stands today? Absolutely not. I think it's ridiculous. I uh, I think the entire basis of football is to insert, assert your will against another human being. And the targeting rule, especially, and how one-sided it is. Because I had Rob Nikovich on my podcast today, and we talked about this specifically. But the, the there's no targeting when I pull and run 10 yards full speed into a defensive end with the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I do. You lead with your face. I mean, that's just what it is. 
but there's targeting when a linebacker tackles a running back who dips his head. I mean, they're ruining the game and it's making it, it's making it really hard to bet on games. Number one, because I have to know like the refs, like I want to know who's refing games before I make a bet in college to see how many times they're going to call targeting to see if I take the over. I mean, because it extends drives and it get ri- it gets rid of quality defensive players. You never hear of targeting, and it's some shitty player that can't play. It's always like, oh, this guy's the heart and soul of their team. And that's because <laughs> he plays balls out, and <clears throat> they're kicking, like, team leaders off the field, and they're judging intent and, and like, penalizing hard play. And I, I don't know how you play defense anymore in college football, bro. Like, I, I, would, I would guess that if you – if these rules were around when I played, I would I'd be kicked out of maybe every single fucking game I ever played, Henry. I'm just, I'm dead serious, bro. Like I, I and and there are multiple people that I know that would be exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's any safer either. That's the thing. Like, is football safer because of this stupid ass penalty? I mean, the, the, the fact that you're still seeing it happen four times in a game makes you think that they really aren't getting rid of that play, right? <laughs> How are you supposed to teach? Don't. Okay, so every inch is valuable, right? Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to teach me to go at, like, stop him with care? <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tackle you. I'm going to tackle you in some bubble wrap with, like, maximum feeling and emotion and hopefully nothing bad happens to you and like your mom doesn't get upset watching what the fuck are we talking about dude like (laughs) this is my this would be my plea to college football like guys you are you are destroying the fabric of the game which is physicality It, it it's it takes all the grunts out of the game too which sucks for me i mean come on man you like i'm surprised like casey roddick DDT'd some guy on Saturday night, like on the goal line, pulled out on their on their their trap power play, and he just grabbed the linebacker and absolutely annihilated him. And I'm surprised they didn't call that. And I think that's quality football. That's what football is. So, you know, I'm really uh, I'm kind of embarrassed for college football bro right now. They really need to figure like they need to have a special meeting. Yeah. with the people that make decisions and shit and figure this out. It is okay. Let me ask you this, Henry and everybody that listens to this, to this show. Are you going to the game Saturday? Obviously. Oh yeah. Okay. We're at the game and CU's up 17 to 13 with four minutes left in the game. And Landman's been fucking running sideline to sideline the whole game, playing like an animal, because that's what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And they run a slant route on third and eight, and he fucking destroys the guy running the slant route, and they call targeting and kick him out of the game and give them a 15-yard penalty that sets them up for the winning touchdown and kicks out our best defensive player. I am going to burn in power field to the fucking ground. <laughs> I'm just telling like the yeah. chances of that happening – or I'd say if I had to guess that one of the premier defensive players in this game is going to get kicked out of the game, I would absolutely unequivocally say yes. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, <clears throat> I, I've, I only had a chance to watch like four or five games, six games. 
but it did seem like on average, there's at least one guy leaving and probably even more than that. Here's my question for you though. I mean, obviously they can't say, okay, helmet to helmet contact intentionally is now allowed. They aren't just going to totally throw out the rule, but how do you change it? Do you say it's still 15 yards? You just don't kick anybody out? Well, look, you have to judge intent. Did you think any of those four fouls last night specifically were intentional? And that's the thing. Were they dirty? Like, were the defensive players trying to spear upward with your helmet? Like, look, just speaking from from experience, okay, my senior year, we played at Kansas. They had a, a like a dual threat quarterback that was killing us. It was 14 to three at the end of the first quarter, and we were falling apart. And they ran a screenplay, and I destroyed this kid and broke his collarbone, and he was out of the game, and we ended up routing him. I didn't think my hit was dirty, but they would call it now. Huh. So I'm I'm not <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best gauge for what's dirty because I I like I dig the violence of football and I know what I signed up for. And most of the guys that play it think like that. So it's really hard. Look, if you're spearing upward with the crown of your helmet and like under people's chins and shit, which is either what you're doing to a, to a quarterback when you hit him at full speed, which is hard for me to judge intent there too, because you're trying to get a sack. I feel like this is a rule for safeties. Like the, the guys who spear, that's the only thing that I think is, is, is worthy of kicking a kid out of the game. Other than that, just think about like, you've spoken to coach Wilson before, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. He's the most intense human being I've ever been around in my whole entire fucking life. And he, he is one of the reasons I am the way I am. He raised me essentially. And if you're going to tell me that he's going to let you play, if you don't run through somebody full speed with your fucking hat and hands, you're not going to play. So, how am I supposed to judge this? How do I walk this line as a player and not hurt my team by giving up 15 yards and field position and points potentially and sacrificing Lang or Landman or like Mustafa got activated today. We got to talk about that. That's incredible. You know, Mustafa or Carson Wells or like Makai, how do we, how do you, how do you value that? And I, I just I feel like college football is trying to <clears throat> trying to like soften the blow with this. Well, they're amateurs, and like he'll be back next week. Every the, that middle linebacker last night for Old Miss, that kid wants to play on Sunday, mm-hmm. and that's an opener against Louisville, who has got got speed, and like now he doesn't get taped. So you're hurting his bottom line because of a fucked up rule and they they've got to change it bro and they're not going to they're not this is we are going to have this conversation every week yep and that's the tough part is that it does feel like they aren't going to walk it back because because it's it's a bad look the ncaa thinks at least if they say well let's get rid of this rule that we created to promote safety because it makes them feel like they're making the game less safe but but really i do think that there's just i don't know I'm all, I'm all right with them implementing that rule a few years ago. At this point, though, we know that it, it doesn't work the way it was designed to work, and changes need to be made. And Stop and, kicking the kids out. Exactly. And I think unless you can say there was intent, 
and you can be confident to say there was intent to hit helmet to helmet, there's no reason to kick the kid out. If you want to say, okay, it's it's maybe reckless the way that they're flying in there, out of control, maybe not intentional, then then maybe if they do it two times in a game, similar to the way those personal foul, like the sport, unsportsmanlike conduct rule works now. But but yes. just to have it a one and done, kick them out, it's it, it it makes the game worse. I think it it destroys the integrity of you know going on the field to figure the game out. Like it it destroys <laughs> the confet competitive balance. It's Tom Brady talked about this in the NFL and how quarterback play has changed and knowledge of the, of the game has changed and how they teach it has changed so much because now the defensive players are are being taught not to take advantage of offensive mistakes and like <clears throat> if you run if you run through zone coverage you're getting knocked out yep so you, you like it, it's being taught the game correctly and people aren't learning it correctly now and it's translating from college to the NFL and it, I agree that it makes – we'll put it like this. It makes it able for Tom Brady to play until he's 44 years old. Yeah. Because he can just sit back there and just pick apart these vanilla-ass defenses that he knows more than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And he makes it totally cognitive and mental. And, and that's, that's the part about college football that kind of pisses me off here. The big picture is that middle linebacker for Ole Miss last night that got kicked out in the – what the first quarter they ended up routing them, but you, they play Alabama and he gets kicked out. Their entire communication package is gone. Their leader's gone. Their captain's gone because he made a tackle. So I don't know how you fix this, Henry. It's really, it's really, I I think it's terrible to be completely honest with you. I don't think that there could be a worse rule than this. I, I remember. So I played lacrosse in high school. And I remember before my junior year there, they implemented a new defenseless player rule. And I'm like, even me as an offensive player, I remember saying, you know, it isn't, it isn't on the refs to defend. Like it is, it is up to me to not be defenseless, like to not put myself in that situation. That's the way that's supposed to work. And and sure. There's like cheap shots and that's a totally different category, but there it, it is like on the receivers when they're crossing the field, they need to know where they are. The quarterback needs to know not to put them in harm's way. It's not up to the refs and the rules of the game to get rid of that stuff. It's up to the players being smart enough to know what plays are there and what plays aren't. And that's why you see all these passing offenses go off is because you you now can do so much more than you could before because it just opens up part of the field that uh, receivers outside of, you know, like, Wes Welker was willing to like go out there and do the gritty stuff and, and more guys before them. But, but for the most part, you just don't go across the middle of the field because you're just asking for trouble. And, and a guy like Nate Landman, you know, a big physical player who we say, Oh, he's a liability in coverage. Wouldn't be nearly as big of a liability if he was able to crack a slot receiver when he was coming across the middle of the field. Exactly. If he could break on slant routes, instead of waiting for the ball to be completed and tackling someone, <laughs> we wouldn't be having the same conversation. Mm-hmm. So it, it, Again, it's it's like legislating grunts out of the game. It yep. makes it so unless you're fast twitch and you can just go from here to there in a millisecond and make a play, you can't play. Mm-hmm. And that sucks, man, because the beauty of football, it's the only fucking sport, in my opinion, 
that doesn't require like ultimate finesse. You can just be a huge meathead grunt fuck and go play and kill people and be successful. And you, you're not, you're not trying to ice skate while you're playing. You're not trying to guard some seven foot freak that can dunk on you. And you don't have to like look left and fast twitch a 90 mile an hour fastball. So it, this is again it's making it really really hard for guys who are just about work and physical play to play yep so that 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 also makes it very hard for me to get behind any of this and man it's just it's like ruin it's almost ruining this weekend for me it's I, I just know it what's sucks. gonna happen dude i know it's going to happen mm-hmm. yep and, and uh, the, the weird thing is like you still have boxing boxing where guys are literally punching guys in the face. And that's still seen as like a, a noble yep. sport. But for some reason, the, the, the two football leagues that matter, the NFL and the NCAA, they say, no, we need to be forward thinking when it comes to this and protecting players. And yeah, it, it is good to protect players as much as you can, but you have to preserve the integrity of the game. And it's not like fans are saying, well, we just won't watch that. We still have boxing. We have UFC. And sure, they don't do the same numbers, but that's because football is a great sport. Not, not because they're not hitting people anymore. And it's just so frustrating to see the game. And, the, and the, again, the two leagues who decide these rules decide to push it that far that way with nothing really pushing it back in the other direction. Well, look, Texas A&M has like two or three receivers that are six, three above, like just freaks. Mm-hmm. How do you stop guys like that? You get physical with them and you hit them. Mm-hmm. So again, that, I guarantee you that's what they're going to press and like come from everywhere and try and UCLA, LSU this bitch. And that that's mm-hmm. I guarantee you that's what they're going to do. They're going to come from everywhere. And you, when you're predetermined blitz and we're trying to get to spots to cover zones because we're vacating them. We're not doing it at 95%. So it, it makes it makes Nate think. It makes Carson think. It makes Lang think. But it also does the same thing for AM. So I, I guess it's just as a coach, you just have to say, look, these are the rules, and we're limited by them. And we're either going to have the excuse that we lost because of this bullshit or we're going to overcome it. And mm-hmm. I mean, retrospectively, we can complain about this all we want, but if they lose because of that, that it better be the only fucking reason they lose. You, <laughs> want, you know what I'm saying? I because if they better play a perfect game and then lose because of that. If that's going to be the focus. Otherwise I'm going to revert back to, we couldn't protect the passer or we can't complete the ball down the field or Lewis doesn't know what the fuck he's doing or whatever is going on in that regard. Yep. And, and we'll get into a bunch of buffs talk to kind of, I mean, basically for the rest of this show, but it is, here's an idea. So, so you think about how do you get this rule changed at the NFL level? Well, the, the rules are decided on by like the owners and by the players association. What if, what if we split the players association into offensive players and defensive players? So there's like two players associations that way. The defensive players have some sort of voice to say like, yeah, we all agree the game. We we'd like for it to be safer. We also need the rules to, to make some sort of sense here. And, and they're hurting us. 
I, I already I already think that the players' association is severely split with people that make money and people that don't. Yeah. Um, ret- like from a retrospective point of view, you're not mm-hmm. saying that guys who make league minimum aren't making good money. Not trying to sound smug, but mm-hmm. you know, a guy making a hundred million dollars and a guy making league minimum that's quite a yep. <laughs> distribution. <It's massive>. So <laughs> yeah, I mean it's huge. So and then on top that, of that, there's there's mm-hmm. already a huge breaking point there, but. I, I'm I'm not against anything that gets this topic out in the air where people can talk about how we can fix it. I'm with because right now it, I feel like the rules are vague as shit, yeah. and it's 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 on. We're it's like the the chains. Like I I love the symbolic nature of moving the chains. I get it, but we're at a stage with technology where why isn't there a microchip in the goddamn ball and we can go exactly mm-hmm. where it's at mm-hmm. underneath the pile like that that's my point is football is still relying on some dude out there who's a part-time ref throwing a flag when things are happening as fast as they can possibly happen with the best athletes in the world so man this this you're making me really nervous henry <laughs> well then let's let's cut this off here then um i want to get your thoughts on brendan lewis i i have some questions about this offensive line um and just who should actually be out there we've got to talk about this texas a&m game what 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 should we expect from cu in that game first though we're going to take a quick break um i want to remind you guys if you aren't a member of dnvr now's the time actually as soon as we're done recording this i'm about to press publish on a story i went back and rewatched that entire game took like four hours talked a lot about you know brendan lewis the the reads he was comfortable making the the places where he struggled um you know the the offensive line chance Lytle. we'll maybe talk about this in a second there was a stretch where he just kind of blew three blocks in a row and maybe we see somebody else there um we see chris miller playing like a dime linebacker a lot of that kind of stuff uh that, that i was writing about you can check that out later if you remember and if you use the code camp 2021 which i think still works which is kind of crazy considering it's actual football season now uh you can get a 60 dollars gift card to the dmvr locker it's a great deal and so don't uh, pass up on that um also i want to tell you guys about breckenridge brewery uh, we had a tailgate up in boulder last weekend We'll be doing that every weekend. I still don't I still don't know what the plan is for this Thursday, but I can say there will be party buses leaving from the DMVR bar. So definitely check out the DMVR.com. Look at those. I think it's like $20 to take you to the game and back. Don't have to pay for parking and you get to hang out at the bar for a bit. Um, That's dope. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. And while you're at that bar, like I said, Breckenridge Brewery is, is the, the, the place to be. I'm wearing my Breck Brew polo. Uh, Breck just signed a deal with CU that they announced last week. Um, they have strawberry sky in the, in the tall boys at the, uh, at the stadium. It's a great Colorado company. They support Colorado sports. They support us. So the least we could do is support them. Also DraftKings Sportsbook. They've got a no brainer bet and you've got about 48 hours to get in on this. So they're moving the spread for the Tampa Bay Dallas game to Tampa Bay plus 73 for all customers. That means that you can cash in as long as the reigning champions don't lose by 74 points against Dallas. There is a maximum bet on this, but it's $50, which means for for all customers, new and existing, you basically get a free $50. It's a steal. I've already put 
the max bet into that and you should too. And also if you are a new user, you can place a $1 bet on any NFL game this weekend and you will get $200 in free bets instantly. It's a great deal. Now's the time to sign up. Uh, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR. And new customers, bet $1 on any football game to receive $200 in free bets instantly with the promo code DMVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Free bet promotion for new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. Max wager limits apply. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's get into last week's game, and then later on we'll get to, to the Texas A&M game. Um, I, I want to hear your thoughts about Brendan Lewis, the offensive line, all sorts of this stuff. But let's just start with the, the, the start of this game. You know, Colorado didn't put up any points in the first quarter. I think fans got pretty nervous because of that. What did you see out there um, that, that kind of caused those problems on offense? Um, rust, <clears throat> you know, an offensive line that hasn't played together in a game. Um, the inability to maybe scrimmage full speed against each other and, and tackle, you know, mm-hmm. and also no idea what UNC was going to do. Like, uh, let's be real. They, I, I talked to Coach Wilson about this at length, and he was like, with the entire first half, we were just trying to figure out what formations they were running, and we were charting everything so we could game plan stuff for the second half. And he is pissed off that they gave up a touchdown, and he's really pissed off about the lack of discipline, and he should be, because that's just going to get us beat. Um, but, like, the, the start of the game, I almost look at it like, it was a like a real time test of how they're going to be able to make adjustments, which I I know the way Coach Wilson thinks and coaches, so I already knew he was going to be able to make them. But the fact that they made him as fast as they did, even if it is against UNC, Ed McCaffrey is a I mean, he knows everything about offense. He's he was out there trying to dissect a defense the same way we were trying to dissect an offense. So I think that the ability for them to adjust the way they did defensively was incredible. Um, offensively, I was, I'm, I'm a little confused on the offensive line rotation. I think that they were trying some guys out, mm-hmm. but at the same time, again, it's more of a who's going to play together, who's going to play the best, who's going to hold one of the the other tackle spot when Frank Philippe comes back. Mm-hmm. Because when Frank when Frank gets healthy, one of the two tackles is going to the bench. Yep, for sure. That's and, that's that's just happening. And I think there's a good chance that both those tackles go to the bench, and we see Max Ray as a starter sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, look, the Ohio State transfer, Max Ray. I I don't know the kid personally, um, but I know Tony Alford, and mm-hmm. Ray transferred from Ohio State. Tony Alford is the running back coach and assistant head coach there. And personally, I think Tony Alford should be the head coach at CSU. That's a different conversation, but (laughs) he, his commentary of Ray, when I asked about him was really athletic, really big, you know, when it gets down to knit and gritty, he competes sometimes and he doesn't. And I'm not calling a kid out. I'm telling you my thought here so 
I want to see him play right tackle immediately. Yeah. And, and I know the depth chart doesn't say that he is the right tackle, but I wouldn't be surprised if what you see on Saturday and what the depth chart says are completely different. They don't have to go by the depth chart. They can start whoever they want. Yep, exactly. And and, be and real. I just got back from Boulder and we asked Carl, uh, what's up with the offensive line basically. And he said, they're going to continue to rotate. You know, he says that the one B's aren't far behind the one A's. And so they want to give everybody a chance and we'll kind of see how it all shakes out in the end. So it does sound like the plan even this week is just to keep that rotation. You, you don't seem to like that though. I don't like it. No, I don't. I, I dig it. If we were playing Miami of Ohio. Okay. We're not playing Miami of Ohio, bro. We're not like we're not at all. And they didn't play very good against Kent State at home. So it's true. Like Jimbo and I, I sent Trey Zoom down there, the, the big O lineman from uh, Fossil Ridge. So I know Coach Henson, their offensive line coach, really well. And just like the thirty-minute conversation that I've had with Jimbo Fisher about recruiting and his philosophy and what they think. They are going to try and absolutely route CU on national TV yep. and prove that they're a top 10 team because what they did last week is unacceptable. So if that's the case and we're playing against a bunch of SEC D linemen and SEC speed, rotating on the offensive line, it's, even if the first unit goes out and they go three and out three times in a row, I still don't want to see rotation. I don't want to see rotation if they're doing well, and I don't want to see rotation if they're not doing well unless somebody gets hurt or somebody's just getting their ass beat. You brought up Lytle, uh, the big right tackle, and his struggles at the point of attack. Mm -hmm. And I, I find it amazing that when Casey Roddick went in the game, how much everything calmed down and how much more they could run the football. And it's an attitude thing. And Casey's not starting because Casey is was sick. Yep. And started camp late. And there's no way the coaches can look at the tape any differently than you and I did. Agreed. When he went in the game, everything changed. And I like I like Kerry, the other guard. He's a good player. And I, I like the, the center. He's a good player. I, I feel like they have the ability to do some stuff with the interior line. But the, the key to this offensive line this year is going to be if the tackles can set the edge if the tackles can reach block and if the tackles can pass protect and we're going to find out look jake wiley's my guy i i trained him all through high school i placed him to see you he had good plays the other night and he had some shitty plays the other night he didn't really have any dominating blocks but he was you know a starter and he is starting again this week and this is going to inform jake and myself and Coach Rod, and Coach Durrell on whether or not he's the starting left tackle here for the next three years. Yep. If he can develop into that guy. Do I think he's going to win every rep? Absolutely not. But the, the key for every offensive lineman, and this is the adage, okay? This is what I tell my guys all the time. This is what Coach Wilson used to tell me. And when I got moved to offensive line, this is what Bill Callahan told me too. So just think about that dichotomy there the fact that i heard it from wilson and then in no uncertain terms heard it from bill callahan when i got moved off we played 80 snaps saturday okay against texas a&m as a defensive lineman as a three technique all i really need is like five or six pluses out of 80 snaps huh. that's it i need six maybe five or six disruptions two or three like for example 
Um, if I, when we played Texas A&M when I was a senior, I'm, I think I had like five or six tackles and a sack and a pass breakup. And I made victory club. And it's like, it's, it's, it's like you grade out really high, but we played 85, 85, 90 snaps and lost in triple overtime. So as an offensive player though, think about if I have six negatives that are game changing plays in the game, do I even play the next week? Exactly. And, and, and that's the tough part. When you look at a guy like Chance Lytle, where, you know, I, I, I don't even think that he was bad for the majority of the game. It's just that there was he, one three-play spread up. stretch where, you know, they started with the ball inside the, the yep. opponent's 30-yard line. And, and he and Jake Wiley, to be fair, on, on the first play got beat and it got was a beat. sack. And then the next play, he got beat to the inside and chased Brendan out of the pocket. And then Brendan had to throw a ball away. And then uh, the next play, the guy, I think it was a run stuff that he allowed or two plays later. And you see that and it's like, well, you can't have that. You can't have that. And if you play a perfect game the rest of the way, then it's kind of this discussion. But it's, to it's be honest, a look, Henry, this, this is what I would do, bro. If I'm coach Rod and I'm look, I'm just I'm just going to be completely honest with you right now. I I sit there and scheme this in my head every week. What I would do with the offensive line because I know so many of them. I know Coach Rod. I know the way they think up there. Like I've had multiple conversations on scheme and how to do things, and we're bounced ideas off each other constantly more than any other college coach and that I work with right now. Other than Wilson, I talk to Rod the most and. If I'm Coach Jarrell and Coach Shiv and I have the overall last word, I can take – so if I was the offensive line coach there, I would have the authority to start who I want to a point. Mm -hmm. The offensive coordinator and the head coach, even if they don't have to give their quote-unquote okay for that kid to start, I want their opinions. Like, I really want to know what they think. We're not going to fucking hurt feelings. Like, if a kid can't play, then we need to figure out who's going to play. Who gives a yep. shit? This isn't a feelings contest. I would, to be completely honest with you, I would either start Ray and see if he can play the position. Or I would move Casey to right tackle. Huh. And I, mean, I, I hadn't really thought of that. Do you think he has the length to play right tackle? N- not necessarily at the NFL level. But you could get away with it. But his big his big ass could absolutely just murk people at right tackle with a with a tight end over his hip too, like. And that's the thing is, then you're putting, I think, in a college specifically, you put your best five on the field regardless of position. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like I think Jake Wiley could move to guard and be really good. Like I I think huh. that Ray could move to guard and be and be good. I think that. Casey, but Casey's the only guard of the group that I think can play tackle. And I bring this up because I've worked with Casey a lot and I know him well. I know the way he thinks. And I, I know Larry Allen and I played against Larry Allen and I've, I've trained with Larry Allen. And I think that Casey Roddick has so much Larry Allen in him. It's kind of scary. And he's only a sophomore. He's going to continue to develop. I would not be surprised if he's a Chris Nioli type guard by the time he leaves Colorado. That's just I agree. So, but the the beauty of Larry Allen is he 
other than Bruce, Bruce Matthews made the Pro Bowl at every position, both tackles, both guards, and center. Larry Allen made the Pro Bowl at four or five, both guards and both tackles. So I think Larry Allen moved to right tackle, and the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. I, I think Casey Roddick could play the point of attack right tackle, which is the point of attack on all the bootlegs, on all the sprint outs, and in the zone game. Because the bet the left tackle is going to be our cutoff because we bootleg out because you know the, the, that's just what hand Lewis is. So yep. I'd like to think that they can figure out the best five and not just look at well we need our tackles to be six seven in order to play and that's just I don't think that that's the best way to run this group and it also puts a huge amount of pressure on the left tackle if they were to do that and they move. Casey to right tackle, and they have Kerry, Colby, who's the and other Ray. guard, and Ray. Ray yep. played as that. I thought Ray played really well and, and was pretty physical in his first action, first start. And he's he's getting the start again. So and he deserves it. He worked his ass off, and I know that kid well too. He's a physical son bitch. And you play the those four, and then the competition to tackle out there is like, okay, don't fuck up. You better play well because there's six other guys that want to play tackle out there. Yep. I agree. And, and, you know, you mentioned that Casey's starting on the bench because he was sick late to camp, that kind of stuff. Max Ray also missed time during camp. And I think that that's a big reason that, that he may not have started. It could be that he got beaten out by Jake Wiley and both those guys. But I, I think that that may also be a factor. I do think, though, that by the time we, we uh, maybe start conference play, because it does sound like Frank is going to be back um, before conference play starts. I think that there might be three new starters on this offensive line with Ray, with Frank, with Casey, and then then two holdovers from before, whether it's, uh, you know, I bet Colby will definitely be one of them. And then there's almost a competition between Kanan and uh, the the other guard. Who, who am I blanking on right now? Ray. That's, yeah. So I, I think that, it would be it would be Kanan, Cush, Colby. Yeah, that's right. Because I mean, the center and the guard are interchangeable, but Colby's doing a good job with calls. Mm-hmm. I, look, I I would be surprised if you see the same five start, just because mm-hmm. um, they won the game last week and you know ran the ball pretty well retrospectively yep. and scored a bunch of touchdowns and all that shit, and they want to keep the consistency going. But I look if they go out and their first two drives are three and out i wouldn't be surprised if they rotate in guys immediately yep if there's if there's a definite difference if you can tell a difference and that place is going to be packed to the brim and as loud as you want to be like it is going to be incredible so i really cannot wait i'm taking my boys i've got sweet tickets man it's going to be fucking awesome i can't wait (laughs) um but it's going to be an atmosphere that we used to play at Sport Authority or Empower or whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. What was it? What did it used to be called? Invesco before that. Invesco, yeah. We played at Invesco every year except my senior year to open. So we always had that experience. So it was cool, but we knew what to experience. Those kids haven't played there against, they played against CSU. This ain't CSU. <laughs> no, Texas it is. They travel like gangbusters. And this is a, have you ever been to, Texas A&M, West Texas? No. This is a destination for West Texas people. Huh. Why? They're, they are because Denver kicks ass. That's why. Makes sense. Because Colorado kicks ass. 
So there, I guarantee you every Texas A&M fan, every single one of them, all that oil money, they're like, look, if we're going to go somewhere this year for an away game, Denver's the one. And it, I mean, that place is going to be packed to the fucking brim. So, and then next year, I'm pretty sure they're, they're, they're trying to find a way to reschedule the Kyle field game from what I gather from huh. everybody up there. So it may be like, a, you know, this is the anniversary of nine 11 and mm-hmm. it makes me think about the past. And I'm in 2001, we didn't play our game against Washington state and they ended up winning the pac 10. And if we would have played that game and won it, we definitely would have played for the national title because we would have more points than Nebraska because they ended up playing their game. And I was thinking about, you know, like the fact that that game got rescheduled to 04 and then how A&M now last year and that having that game canceled, they're going to try and reschedule it. So you could play it three years down the road. They could just end up playing at Kyle Field when they had a bye. So that that's pretty cool. That's an extra game down the road to look forward to. I know that that revenue lost for CU is as almost as significant as it was for AM. Yeah, that stuff is kind of crazy to think about all that scheduling. Um, I, before we before we get real into what's going to happen against Texas A and M, what do you think of Brendan Lewis last week? I'm concerned. You're concerned. Okay. I'm concerned. I'm concerned because there's no one else. Okay. I'm not necessarily concerned about Lewis. He's going to go through his growing pains. I knew this was going to happen. He's seeing everything for the first time. He's not going to – I would like to think that he has a blossom moment on national TV and and throws four touchdowns against A&M. But realistically, if we can't hammer the rock and we don't run the ball for 300 yards, we're going we're gonna to lose. So – I'm concerned about the lack of push in the room. Uh, you know, I, I placed Borvington up there. He's their third stringer, and they've got another freshman behind him. That's a lot of youth in the quarterback room. Um, it's – look, man, I, I like Coach Shiv's offense when they can run the ball. If they can't run the ball and they're putting – you know, I'm going to just be honest right now. I was real. I'm really disappointed in the wide receiver play. What, like what, what did you the, see from them? Did you see Rice getting open? Did you see Chanel getting open? Like it was rare. It, I don't see when I watch NFL receivers, which is what I think they have there. Even Stanley wasn't really getting open. Like I didn't see guys running open against the UNC players. And there I should agree. be a there should be a massive difference in. That's the kind of game where those three receivers should go absolutely insane. And not a game where how many catches did Rice even have? Two? I, I don't know that he had one. But but so, here's here's what I'll say. I do think that at the same time, what what I thought Brendan was better at was almost like when guys were schemed open, you know, you have like a little mesh concept. You have somebody sitting in the middle, you're pulling the two defenders in three ways and he hits a short pass to one of them. You have kind of like a little flood concept on the sideline. He, he can manage that. So I thought we're, there, there we're was recruiting one recruiting game managers. I do, it's, it's not perfect. It's not That's perfect. Not, yeah. But game man, look, bro, game managers aren't supposed to start as freshmen. That's, That's when you're, a, when you're a freshman, 
and you're starting in Division One Power Five football or Division One football. I don't even give a shit. Cincinnati's not Power Five. They they beat the fuck out of us right now. They're good. Mm-hmm. Maybe not beat us that bad, but they're they're pretty good. Their quarterback is definitely a better player than what we have in Boulder right now. For sure. So that that's all I'm trying to say. I'll, he should be. We should be talking about like three years from now. He's an NFL prospect, not. Mm-hmm. Wow, how do we game manage this around his inability to push the ball down the field? Yep. I think I think his lack of knowledge of the position is the is the main problem. Do have how much you you've watched more practice than I have? Yep. Is he in practice, do you see a dynamic down the field leveled, multi-layered level offense? With those kind of because with those receivers, that's what they should be doing. Yeah, and and that's the tough part. And at this point, that's not who Brendan is. And and you know, you go back and look. There, I, there was one play in particular, and if you guys, I'll plug this again. Check it out, thedmvr.com. But uh, there was one play where it's man coverage. It's like a cover one hole type of deal. Deep safety linebacker sitting in the middle. He's got Brendan Rice on the outside running like a twelve yard dig, and just doesn't even look at him. And then he's got off coverage from a man corner. Brendan's coming butt naked. And the fact that Brendan Rice doesn't see that and say, hey, this is this is going to be an easy pickup right here. It just drives me crazy. And I think that that what I saw was kind of an inability to trust his receivers to to get open or, or whether it's that or like trusting his eyes saying like this should be open and I've got to throw them open and instead because because I mean I, I checked the numbers after Friday night's games which was about half of the college football slate this week and he took 3.8 seconds to make a decision with the ball which was the most of any quarterback to that point and a lot of that I think is him I, I don't oh, I don't think he didn't see my heart games. what did you just say 3.8 you're telling me 3.8 that, that CU's quarterback Lewis is holding the ball for four seconds a pass? Almost. That's oh in almost. My God, dog. That I'll pull is... up these numbers right now just because I'm curious where he wound up ranking out of uh, Oh, the Henry, that country. is that the look, man. I'd have to assume that Texas AM has that information. If I'm if I'm the defensive line coach for Texas AM and I have that information. I am walking into the meeting room and saying, boys, we are going to eat this weekend. I think I think you'd be right to say that because based on what we Four saw. Four seconds. <laughs> okay. That's half see. a bull ride, dog. That's I'm telling you, like <laughs> that, you better hold the fuck on. That as an offensive lineman, I would be in the huddle like, can you throw the goddamn ball, please? And and I don't know, man. I felt like last week there was a lot of a lot of CU UNC shit talking back and forth to each other. Guys that knew each other. That ha- that was happening. But CU could should be above that. They shouldn't be out there jawing with UNC. I mean, the, the lack of discipline and the the fact that they're rotating guys. I, it's very. I hate to say this, but it's very friend zone to me. And I don't know if Lewis has the clout and the voice to like get on people's asses. I, who is that? Who's the guy on offense that's going to like almost threaten people to get them to do things correctly? Yeah. And I'm not sure you have that on offense. I did just pull up these numbers. So average time to throw 
This is this is not like filtered by a minimum number of dropbacks or anything like that. This includes 208 quarterbacks from uh from last week and at the, when you include all of them what does this say uh i think oh brendan is the eighth out of all of them so there's with, 200 quarterbacks better at getting rid of the ball <laughs> I know, sixth, that's what you're telling me sixth longest at 3.7 so seconds yep oh, but God, but at the same be- time <laughs> he, he, did, he did have the time the pocket was there he, he yeah, was able yeah, the to roll time out against a bunch plays. of guys who were going to be shelling insurance in three years so, I mean, what are we talking about right now yeah it's that's it's a tough look it's a really tough look and it has to change my thing is though i really do think that brendan went into this game saying i'm not throwing any interceptions i'm not putting the ball in harm's way and he was absolutely way too cautious and that needs to change. And it'd be nice if, if we could say at least we saw him at points get over that because even the good throws were on rollouts. Like there were very few that weren't. I mean, there were a couple like two, three yard gains that he just hit. You know, right I felt like for a while, I felt like I was watching the Broncos offense. <laughs> don't say that. That's, <laughs> they don't deserve I that. <laughs> I did. Like it, it was all we can do is roll out and throw dump passes. Yep. But we got all these receive. We got all these receivers that are just. They looked on paper, like, <laughs> I mean, we we were talking about Rice being a first round draft pick when he's times done at CU. <laughs> first round draft picks don't go catchless, especially when they're on the field more than any other receiver in that game. It, against a Division One AA opponent that hasn't played in a year. Yep, things so, need to change. Man, I felt I'm I'm look I'm a the consummate optimist when it comes to CU I always think they have a chance to win every game even if they don't but I truly in my heart of hearts right now believe that they can win this game I watched AM play I watched CU play and I watched UCLA absolutely demolish LSU <laughs> and I, there's absolutely no reason why the personnel at CU can't do the same thing at AM. AM does not have dynamic offensive play there they couldn't block a, a a nosebleed the other day in the game against Kent State they were horrible time. they were horrible in the offensive line the entire game the quarterback couldn't throw the ball 15 yards down the field the receivers couldn't catch so they're trying to fix the same problem I'm sure they're sitting I guarantee you their their game plan is Jimbo Fisher walks in and goes, Nate Lambin's a pro, Carson Wells is a pro, Lang's a pro, and if you take them lightly, they're going to beat the shit out of you in Denver. So this is a get-right game for them as well. And that plus 17, how do you feel about plus 17? That's that's 17 points is a lot on Sunday. 17 points is not a lot for college football. When they're warm, last week was the enigma, and it really – Bro, I got my ass kicked last week with college football on draft. <laughs> I got smashed. I thought everybody would go over. Yeah. And damn near no one did. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the the unders were getting hammered last week. And I, I feel like the overs will this week. But even the plus 17 number, if you think about it, like, they if they say CU loses 41 to 27 and it's competitive. It's still a bad, that's bad. That's 41 points. Yep. 
They I, can I, score 41 points, right? I, I think so. I think so. And to be honest, I, I thought the line would be a little bit wider than 17. Um, really? I, I did. I, I had, I guess in, in my prediction, it was like I had 38 to 17. So that'd be like a 21 point line. Not, not what, much what did wider. they score last week? What was the final against Kent State? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, I can pull that up. I think it was like it was, I know it was 10, was it 10 3 or 10 7 at halftime? Which one? I think it was 10 3 at halftime, and it wound up being 41 to 10. Yeah, so they put it on them in the second half. Yep. In, in terms of my uh my bets, though, uh, my my weekend was saved because I had that Montana money line, had to support oh, my guys against By Washington. The way, I am so proud of your boys, dude. It was incredible. What? Why were you? Why are you so down about the the uniform? What was that discussion? I mean, they they've had really good uniforms in the past, and we might as well get into it. We we'll, we'll wrap things up here soon, but uh, so they had their their long snapper actually. His dad was like the number two at Nike from probably like 2012 to maybe I think it was 2013 to like 2017, 2018, something like that. And so Nike was just hooking Montana up with incredible uniforms, like great throwbacks. And so the standards have been pretty high recently, but I don't know. They were pretty boring FCS uniforms. Like the names are just like kind of small. There's just nothing special about them. Like they they just didn't, they didn't pop. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what did pop winning in Seattle. It was pretty great, bro. That is that's that's not easy to do. Like I, I don't give a shit who you are. You go to Seattle, they they don't routinely lose games at the University of Washington in Seattle. No. That's a place where you go and you lose. So the fact that Montana is an FCS team, and, and look, I'm gonna go full circle here with Montana State almost beat Wyoming. Yeah. You know, and I think that if if the Big 12 really does expand which I, I pray to God they expand and not fold. And everybody has to go to 16, which I hope there's some consistency with numbers of teams and conferences so we can have some equal footing. And everyone's at 16. I would like to think that Montana and Montana State and North Dakota State and Eastern Washington got a huge win. They yeah, went they went good. on the road and won. Those teams can jump into the Mountain West slots. Because it, Montana yep. deserves to play on an equal footing with Wyoming. I mean, give me a, give sure. me a break, bro. I mean, sure. that give me a break. Yeah. So South Dakota State obviously deserves to play on an equal footing. Like they absolutely shit stomp CSU. So all you babas out there, I don't want to hear any more of this equal footing shit. Okay, there's no equal with little brother. Love it. Adazio's got to go. Really <laughs> <laughs> Good God. That's terrible. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about this Texas A&M game real quick. We're going to take one more short break. and remind you guys about Green Mountain Dental, a great family-owned dentistry in Lakewood, uh, 15 minutes away from downtown Denver. Huge Colorado sports fans. That's why they partner with us, because they're listening to the podcast, because they want sports fans in there to talk sports with. It's a great place. I've had coworkers go out there. We've had listeners go out there. Nobody's had anything but good things to say. And if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental, you'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush. It's a great toothbrush. um, And so why not go uh, let them hook you up? All right. So it's Texas A&M game. Let's jump in. Um, I want first the one thing 
that scares you the most about Texas A&M? Defensive speed, 100%. The absolute – the it's almost – I like the fact that they played UNC and got a win and start 1-0. I dig it. I, mean, I was at CU for a lot of years when we used to drop the first game of the season all the time. It would suck. Just, there's nothing bad about starting 1-0. But it's almost a – it's a good thing to get warmed up and play. It's almost a bad thing to actually have to judge speed and, and explosion and get off against UNC to Texas A&M. So the, the first quarter, the first 15 minutes of this game absolutely scare the shit out of me. Not only because of the game, but like I'm taking both my sons and they're at that age where I need the game to be like, really close and competitive. So everybody's in, engaged in the stadiums full. So they give a shit. So, <laughs> I mean, it's important. And every CU fan does tell me they don't. That's what people are freaked out about is we get routed. Yep. And the only way that happens is if the offense, I don't think it's going to be as big of a thing on defense because we've got veterans on defense that have seen everything and have played against every ounce of speed you can throw at them. So, it's not that the Pac-12 has less speed. It's the offense hasn't seen it. You can't practice against it. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere and the first 15 minutes with a, a baby quarterback and a baby offensive line, it scares the living shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. I think that's a good one. I think that's a good one. I think what scares me the most is, is that running game uh, from Texas A&M. Just Isaiah Spiller the running back who's one of the three best draft prospects in the country when it comes to running backs. He's explosive. He breaks tackles. And we saw Colorado miss a couple of tackles. You know, the one touchdown they gave up, they had two guys hit, hit the receiver, just neither decided to put their arms around him and bring him down. Um, so that's going to be mine. Next up. Uh, what's the one thing that uh, gives you the most hope that CU is going to win? I, I think it is the, the defense, honestly, the mm-hmm. landman Lang. You know, Carson Well, I think Carson Wells can have one of these games that makes him an even more draft draftable prospect than mm-hmm. than Nate, to be completely honest with you. I think yeah. Carson has Carson has the ability to be a potential, you know, first round pass rusher, high second round pick, something like that. Nate, Nate's ceiling is probably like a Logan Wilson who was a third round pick by Cincinnati, something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's just I feel like there's there's definite NFL players on defense and there's NFL hopefuls on offense for us. And there's NFL players on defense. So where I think that Texas A&M and their running game, what they do is very effective. Don't get me wrong. They can hammer the ball. They also haven't, they haven't played at altitude. I, I played against A&M four times in college and we, we were three and one against them. And every time they came to Boulder, it, you know, they, by the third quarter, they'd be breathing hard. And it would be an advantage for us. And look, the, the Buffs have to take advantage of that shit. They have got to go out and take advantage of the fact that this, this, there's history between these two schools. It's not just a, a Pac-12 SEC matchup. This is an old Big 12 matchup. So mm-hmm. I hope that they're playing that up in the room and and you know making it 
making it on the defense. Like this is the kind of game where Wilson needs to walk in and say, we win or lose this game based on how we play. We, if the offense can only give us four field goals, we need to be able to win with it because that's the kind of personnel they have. Am I wrong to think that? I mean, no. that's that when I look at every level of CU's defense, there's at least one guy on that defense. That's a draft that's draftable, right? Yep. Okay. Then they need to play like it. Agreed. Um, when, when the bus have the ball, what do you want to see more of this week? For, for me, for me, it's under center play action. I want to, I want to see them run like some I form stuff. Let if, if Brendan wants to get out of the pocket, get him out of the pocket within the structure of the offense, you know? I'd like to see him run the ball more. Okay. Like I, I want to see them run quarterback power, double pull counter. Like what Florida state was doing it to Notre Dame the other night where they would wash mm-hmm. the entire front side, pull both the guard and tackle run the tight end and the running back up the field. And then their fast ass quarterback before he got knocked the fuck out would just take off and it works. So I'm not saying he needs to run the ball the whole game, but I, in order to take pressure off of the passing game and open up your play action, they can't just rely on the running backs to run the football. I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't be mad at Lewis having 20 carries and really getting into the game and showing us that he can handle the workload of a look for as limited as Sefa Lufau was throwing the ball and he's, he's like shot put it, but he, it got there and it got there in a hurry. That some bitch was his senior year, especially was so tough running the ball. And he had so many games where he just Phil Lindsay was the main, you know, obviously he's getting the main bulk of the work, but, those closeout games to send them to the Pac-12 title game, I'm pretty sure Sefa went for over like 75, 80 yards rushing, if not 100 in all of them, with multiple carries, 12, 15, 20 carries. So wow. that's what – look, I think in today's in today's college football, if you can run quarterback power, you're running 11 on 11. You're not handing the ball off and watching. Mm-hmm. And the ability to line up with your quarterback at the pistol and run the ball with a lead blocker and a tight end and the offensive line, that's it makes the defense like that that defensive end is trying to squeeze the zone read. It's now he has another job. Now he has to play quarterback power. So I, I'd like to think that they can run the ball. And if they can't, we're absolutely and totally screwed. I agree. It's worth noting Texas A&M last week gave up 226 rushing yards to Kent State. It's a big. Texas A&M, number. they're not Alabama. Like, they aren't let, Alabama. Let's just be real here, bro. Like they were better last year than they are now. They're playing a lot mm-hmm. of guys. They 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 have a don't they have a defensive end that's just lights fucking out. Demarvin Leal. Yeah, he's yeah. a really good player. And first round pick. Like that's my thing is both the tackles are going to be tested by a first rounder. That good. The last first rounder from Texas A&M that came to Folsom, his name was Von Miller. And they, you know, he played against Nate Salter. So, and then like, that's, that's what you would expect from Texas A&M. We, you know, that's the way it's always been. This is kind of my point on full circle here is no one should be, no one that is over the age of fucking 12 as a Buffalo fan should be enamored with Texas A&M. Let's be real. 
You should not be intimidated by them. You should not be enamored by them. You should not be wowed by them. You should look at them like we used to absolutely pummel these motherfuckers every time they came to Folsom and give them everything they could handle at Kyle. We beat them at Kyle when I was there. We lost to them in triple overtime the other time. So no one in Buffalo country should have any, any thought in their head other than Colorado should go out and win this football game and dominate it. And that's the way I feel. This isn't a John Embry team. There, there's a lot of NFL caliber mindset, not just players, but guys who think they are good enough to play in the National Football League. They are in the locker room in Boulder. So there's just as many in Boulder that want to play on Sunday as there are in, in West Texas. So this like plus 17 number, if I'm, look, if I'm Nate Landman and Wells and Lang and we haven't really talked about Mustafa, but if I'm if I'm Carl Durrell, I am activating Mustafa 100% immediately and getting him on the field. He didn't he didn't forget how to play football. He just might be a little winded. Mm-hmm. Get that freak on the field. How did that happen, Henry? How how is it that Mustafa Johnson signed with the Jets, got cut, and is now playing college football again? What in the hell is going on? How did this happen? And <laughs> when I saw that he got reinstated, I was like, is this? Like, are you telling that Mustafa could like medical redshirt this year and come back next year? I think he could. Couldn't but, he? but the but the reason that it happened was because he didn't actually sign with the Jets. They brought him in for a tryout, but never gave him a contract. Oh shit! I, I thought he yeah. signed with New York. I was yeah, no. Long so then. now he never wound up with a contract, and so I'm pretty sure the the reason why he's the actually exemption? suspended for a few games is because he broke the uh, amateur rule because he signed with an agent so, so he can't even play this week he can't he's, he's when out. is he eligible to return the, the cu still doesn't know but it's likely going to be sometime after the first conference game so yeah, so he's I, probably out mustafa, at least four games and potentially if more I'm mustafa, well okay so put yourself in mustafa johnson's shoes he just tested the water at a, as a really good three technique <laughs> Yep. Really good player. Like, I, I'm not sitting here trying to be cocky or anything, but I think he's the best one since I played there, Bannon played there, or Brayton played there. I mean, the numbers back that up. And they back it up. And he's a very productive football player, but he's under the six-foot club. Yep. But I'm one of those guys as a 6'4 defensive tackle. I, you know, I look at guys like Aaron Donald and John Randall and shorter defensive linemen, and I know they can be successful because of arm length and explosion which is what I thought he was, I didn't think he should have left. I, and I told him he shouldn't have left. And I know damn well Coach Wilson told him he shouldn't have left and told his I've mother he shouldn't too. have left. And everyone said he shouldn't have fucking left, and now he knows. So if you're Mustafa, do you, do you take this opportunity this year to redshirt in the middle of your career? And I, I know all about that, too. I redshirted as a junior. Huh. And it totally changed everything about me as a player and as a man. And I, I think that he has been humbled. I, I, personally, if he comes back after four weeks and he's healthy and he's in shape, you are going to get an absolute monster. Because I, I thought agree. that's what they were missing, Henry. Like, the fact that he didn't come back this year, I was like, look, I really like the defense. But if Lamman has 34 and Lang in front of him this year, I love the defense. And now he's practicing and he's back and we could potentially see him for the entirety of the conference games 
Would you, if you're Mustafa, are you redshirting and playing 12 next year or are you coming back? Uh, it, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, I, I almost think it depends on the situation. You know, if, if Colorado goes and beats Texas A&M, this defense is doing everything that the, that you'd hoped it would do. You go and beat USC in that first game. Or no, I guess he'd be likely Minnesota back for USC, State. Arizona State. Then uh, maybe you do come back and say, this is a special team right here. Yeah, why wouldn't you want to be involved with that, right? Exactly. And, exactly. and just adding and then adding his ability to rush the passer one-on-one. And he, look, Mustafa, this is one of the conversations we had at the beginning of the show with grunts. He's a grunt player. Mm-hmm. He's 5'11 and a half, for God's sakes. Like, he's not. He doesn't, you don't look at him and like, wow, 34 looks like a monster. But when you turn the tape on, he's the best player on the field. So adding that to a defense that could be rolling at that point, because in my opinion, everything's lining up for CU to do this and have a great year. Yeah. No, like the minute, if they can figure out a way to beat AM and, and or play them tough and they lose an overtime or something, it sets them up against Minnesota to win that game in Folsom because. Let's be real. When when a- when Ibrahim went down, yep. I feel I feel for that kid, man. That's terrible. But that yes. opens the gate for their quarterback to have to be the guy to beat him, and he ain't beating nobody. No, he is not. And like Arizona State, I don't know. There's just something about Arizona State that tells me they're beatable, and SC. There's something about SC that tells me they're beatable. And yep. I we've talked about this. I feel like they have a special combination up there this year. If they could figure out a way to manage this first couple of weeks and make sure it's not just a shit show. What's your score prediction for Saturday? I think CU wins, honestly, and Love I'm it. not afraid to say it. I really Love do. It. I I would, I think CU wins in double overtime. Uh, I think they beat them 31 to 28 in double overtime. All right. That's going to do it for this week. We'll have you back on next week. We'll see how you do with your pick. Uh, we'll oh. be talking uh, about, the Mo Ibrahim-less Minnesota Gophers at that point, too. Um, for those of you who listen to the podcast tomorrow, I'll be back up in Boulder. We're going to be talking about everything we learned from the press conference today, from talking to a couple of guys tomorrow. Then on Thursday, we'll do a big Texas A&M preview. I'm going back and watching that game at some point in the next day or two. Friday, I'll be live at some point with our guy, Andre Simone, to uh, talk some buffs. And then Saturday, you can uh, catch us post-game um, as always at the NVR buffs after dark, that's the plan for the week. Thanks for coming on Matt. And, uh, we'll see you. Well, I guess maybe we'll see you on Saturday. No, I'll definitely see you on Saturday. Awesome. Go bus Henry. Have a good day, brother. <laughs>